The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're worshiping with us this morning. We've been in a series where we've been exploring the story of God, both so that we can know and experience the Bible and God in a deeper way. And like every good story, the Bible has a plot line. And so we began with the introduction through the act of creation. And then we saw the inciting incident, the, the conflict of the story through the fall. And that led us to the rising action of the story, the unfolding of the consequences of the conflict. And we saw that through election, exodus, and the exile of God's people. And then last week, Barry talked to us about the climax of the story through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we come to the falling action of the story, the unfolding of the consequences of the climax. And so we're going to be talking about the work of the church in the world. And the church is exploding all over the world, especially in places of severe persecution. But when we look at the political and social climate in which we live in here in the U.S., sometimes we're not sure what to do with the church. Issues around abuse, political division, racial tension, and a global pandemic have wreaked havoc on the church. In 2020, the Barner Group found that the number of practicing Christians has dropped nearly in half since 2000. Gallup recently reported that U.S. church membership fell below 50% for the first time in eight decades. In a recent survey from LifeWay, two-thirds of young adults reported that they stopped attending church, citing religious or political disagreements with the church or hypocrisy among members. In a recent article in The Atlantic, Mark Laberton, president of Fuller Seminary, said, The church is in one of its deepest moments of crisis. Because of what has been exposed to be the poverty of the American church in its capacity to be able to see and love and serve and engage in ways in which we simply fail to do. In many ways, the church is in disarray. And yet, it is still the means by which God's mission moves forward in the world after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Way back in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless all humanity through him. And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we are now the new covenant people of God, empowered by the spirit to take the gospel to the world. One author puts it like this. It's not so much that the church has a mission. It's that the mission of God has a church. Here at IBC, we would say it like this. We believe God is calling us, the people of Irving Bible Church, to become a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. The church has a multi-ethnic mission to proclaim the gospel to all people, living as the new family of God, empowered by the Spirit, and embodying the self-giving love of Jesus to the world. And yet... In the midst of so much conflict and turmoil, both in the world and in our country, how do, we, how do we live out this mission that God has for us, his church? How do we 
become this kind of people? Well, quite often the way to move forward is to look back. We've seen enough Marvel movies to know that every good superhero movie has a good origin story. And so this morning, we're going to look at our origin story by looking at the early church. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Acts 11 is where we will be. And we're going to take a look this morning at the early church. And what I want to do is I want to show you, uh, here's what I want to show you, just two observations about them and then five practices for us. Two observations about them, five practices for us. So before we get to Acts 11, we need to do a little bit of background work so you see where we are in the story. Now in Acts 1, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended was that they, they would be empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 2, the the church that is born on the day of Pentecost by the power of the Spirit is a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. God's presence comes powerfully to earth to indwell his people as the Holy Spirit fills the disciples and empowers them to speak in other languages. Luke specifically gives us 15 different communities of God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven who heard the gospel in their very own language. On this day, the birth of the church, we see a community comprised of Asians, Africans, and Europeans. But while Jesus' followers are sharing the gospel and many are coming to faith, they actually haven't left Jerusalem yet. It's only after persecution breaks out that they're scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts 11, we see them take the gospel to new people groups. Up until this moment, Jesus' followers have taken the gospel to people who have some understanding, some connection with the Hebrew scriptures. But then in Acts 11, they go to Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. It had a population of about half a million people. It was an eclectic cosmopolitan city known for its immorality, its religious pluralism, and its ethnic diversity. When it was first built, it was constructed as a divided city. There was a a literal wall that was built to separate the Syrians and, and the Greeks. And by the time Luke writes this narrative, there are at least 18 different ethnic groups living within the city's boundaries. And yet, division remained. And these groups largely kept to their own communities. They were literally divided. Acts 11, 19 is where we pick up the story. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. These ordinary unnamed men from Cyprus, a Mediterranean island, and Cyrene, which is a city in modern-day Libya, they go to Antioch, and they share the gospel with the Greeks. These people that do not believe in God, they have no understanding, no connection with the Hebrew scriptures. And through these everyday conversations with these ordinary men, they become followers of Jesus. The Lord's hand is on them. A great number of people come to put their trust in Jesus. And the spirit of God moves among the people. And and so much so that 
he transforms the city. Verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The church back in Jerusalem hears about what's going on. And so they send Barnabas to check out what's happening because they're not sure what to make of these Gentiles. Barnabas is a Jew from Cyprus and who's now become a follower of Jesus. And so he comes to Antioch. He sees God's grace in these people coming to put their trust in Jesus. And he, he doesn't tell them that they need to become circumcised like the Jews or that they need to follow the Jewish dietary laws. He doesn't tell them that they're not singing the songs that they sing in Jerusalem or they're not, they don't look like the Jerusalem church because these people, they speak differently, they dress differently and very likely they worship differently. And Barnabas is able to discern the different cultural expressions of the gospel for the Greeks. So rather than asking these ethnically diverse believers to conform to Jewish culture, he says, remain true to the Lord. Keep following after Jesus. You see, Christianity never says you need to look like this, dress like this, sing these songs, or vote like this. Never. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas discipled these believers so that they might be formed in the way of Jesus. And their lives bear witness to Jesus to the rest of the city. And so for the first time, Christianity isn't based on a specific ethnicity or culture because they're not all Jewish people or Nigerians or Latinos. That's not what primarily defines them. And so they're called Christians, which means little Christ or the Christ people. Their identity of being Christians transcended their ethnicity, their culture, and every other identity marker that society had. The church in Antioch began breaking down the dividing walls in such a way that it upset the status quo. And people from all over the city, Jews and Gentiles are like, are suddenly coming together. This church was redefining community in a revolutionary and unprecedented way. So much so that a new name is needed to explain what's happening. Their deepest sense of themselves was defined by being followers of Jesus. Now this doesn't mean that their ethnicity or culture disappeared or wasn't a valuable part of who they were. It just means something different now. Who they were, their cultures and backgrounds were now formed and and shaped by the gospel message. Now their story is not over yet. Uh, Flip over a page or two to Acts 13 verse 1. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Luke gives us the ethnicities and backgrounds of the leadership team of the church in Antioch. Barnabas was a Jew from Cyprus. 
Simeon was African. Lucius was from Cyrene in Libya. Manian grew up with Herod. And so very likely he was born in Palestine and was a member of the wealthy upper class. And Saul was a Jewish religious scholar. Two of them were from Africa. One was from the Mediterranean. One was from the Middle East. And one was from Asia Minor. They are a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multicultural church. And they fast and pray. And, and then they send out Barnabas and Saul to spread the gospel by planting churches throughout the Roman Empire. And this church set off a revolution as the power of God is unleashed throughout the Roman Empire. And then ultimately to the rest of the world. Antioch was transformed by some ordinary men who shared their faith. And then the believers in Antioch live in such a powerful and compelling way that the rest of the city takes notice. Something new, something unheard of is happening here. Where there was division and discord, the gospel of Jesus Christ brought love and unity. And because they were transformed, they begin to transform the city. And the entire course of human history is profoundly and forever altered by this church in Antioch. Two observations about the early church. Number one, the early church was empowered by the spirit. This movement wasn't the result of strategies or plans. Those are good. But what happened here was the result of the spirit of God moving among his people. The church began as the presence and power of the spirit fills the disciples and empowers them to speak in other languages. And then when we look at the church in Antioch, we see that the Lord's hand was with them. And the disciples are open to the work that God wants to do in their lives. What revolutionized the world was not the result of human wisdom or resourcefulness, but the result of Jesus' disciples living as the new family of God, empowered by the spirit, embodying the self-giving love of Jesus to the world. Number two, the early church embraced the whole gospel and was a radically inclusive community. From its birth, God wants to make clear that the church has a multi-ethnic mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to all people. These ordinary unnamed men decide to obey Jesus and preach the gospel to those who are ethnically different from them. And from this, the church in Antioch is born. A city filled with ethnic division, Antioch was prone to race riots. And it's into this ethnically fractured city that these men proclaim the gospel and form a radically inclusive community that worships Jesus. This multi-ethnic church displayed to the rest of the city the love, unity, and reconciliation found only in Jesus. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he shows us what it looks like when a community embraces the whole gospel and bears witness to its transforming power in their lives. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God's purpose was to create one new humanity, a diverse multi-ethnic community. 
In the first five verses of this chapter, Paul says that, that we were dead in our sins, but we've been made alive in Christ. And because of Jesus, we've been rescued from sin and death. We now have access to God, but that's not the whole gospel. God is not just interested in saving us from our sins. God is also interested in forming a new people, a new way of relating to each other. One new humanity, something that's never been seen or done before. There is both a vertical and horizontal dimension to the gospel. We have been reconciled to God, but we've also been reconciled to each other. In the Jerusalem temple, there was this wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles could not enter into the inner courts reserved for Jews. And Paul says that in Jesus Christ, the two groups have become one. And that the wall has been destroyed. Author and pastor Rich Velotis says, the cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. In Christ, the promise that was given to Abraham to bless all humanity has now been fulfilled. Friends, the extent to which we embrace the whole gospel is the extent to which we will become a multi-ethnic church. And Paul is not saying that diversity is the end goal in the kingdom of God. Diversity is what you see in concerts and at sporting events. Just take a look at a stadium filled with cowboy fans at a game. All different ethnicities, all different backgrounds with a common goal. They want to see the cowboys win. They want to see the cowboys go to the Super Bowl. And year after year, they are disappointed. Diversity is not what we're after in the church. It's not enough that we gather here on a Sunday morning and this room is filled with with people of different ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds. We are the new family of God. So we don't just want different people gathered in a room. We want different people who are forming and shaping each other, deeply connected to one another. And when Paul planted churches, he always planted multi-ethnic churches. Because the gospel called him to plant churches that reflected the cities he was in. Uh, The 2020 census identified that Irving is comprised of Hispanics, Asians, whites, and blacks. And our church should reflect the multi-ethnic city we live in. But let me be clear. Whether you are white or a person of color, we see you, we need you, and and you belong here. We are the new family of God. And together, each one of us is invited to step into the multi-ethnic mission that God has for us. To proclaim the gospel to all people. But how exactly do we do this? Let me share with you five practices that we can implement so that we might fulfill this mission. Number one, learn to be uncomfortable. There are times when being part of this community will mean being uncomfortable. Jesus said, I have come that they may have comfort and have it to the full. That's not what he said. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And quite often we equate comfort with the abundant life that Jesus promises. But the way of Jesus is the way of self-giving love. Being part of the new family of God is messy. We must be willing to have hard conversations, to be curious and humble, to be willing to learn and grow as we navigate the complexities of becoming a multi-ethnic church. There will be times when we say and do the wrong thing. We must be quick to ask for forgiveness. 
And we must be quick to forgive. There will be times when you will not like the songs that we sing here. Or times when the language that scripture is read in is not in English. Or perhaps not even in your mother tongue. It means we strive to have expressions of worship. That reflect the diversity of cultures in our body. In our pursuit to become a multi-ethnic church. We will do things differently. And quite often. That will mean that sometimes you will be uncomfortable. And yet Jesus laid aside his comfort for us. And so we are called to lay aside our comfort for others. The answer is not to leave the first time you don't like something. Rather, the invitation is to lay aside your comfort and to take up your cross. Learn to be uncomfortable. Number two, practice deep listening and empathy. We commit to to deeply listening to others, even when it's hard. Rich Valotis calls this incarnational listening, where we do what Jesus did for us when he entered into our world. We leave our world, letting go of what's comfortable and familiar to us, and we enter into someone else's world by practicing deep listening. And we allow ourselves to be formed by others. We open ourselves up to their worldviews, while still maintaining our own. It's far too easy to stay in our own cultural comfort zones, but unless we leave our world and allow ourselves to be shaped by others, we will not make much progress in our multi-ethnic journey. Isabel Wilkerson writes this, radical empathy means putting in the work to educate oneself and to listen with a humble heart to understand another's experience from their perspective. Not as we imagine we would feel. Radical empathy is not about you and what you think you would do in a situation you have never been in or perhaps never will. It is the kindred connection from a place of deep knowing that opens your spirit to the pain of another as they perceive it. I'm second generation Indian American. My parents came to the United States, to New York City in the early 1970s. And for most of my life, I have grown up in an Indian church. And in many ways, that's where I feel most comfortable. There's a certain comfort that comes with being with people who look like you, who have the same backgrounds and experiences as you. And there's a place for ethnic churches. And there are times when people of color need ethnic communities and churches. But as I came to embrace the whole gospel, I realized God was calling me to enter into deep, meaningful relationships with those different than me, and to become part of a multi-ethnic church. And there are times when I am uncomfortable here, but it's then that I get to lean into the discomfort and love others the way Christ has loved me. And there are men and women in this community who have different backgrounds and ethnicities than me, who have helped me know and love Jesus in ways I would never be able to do on my own. And I'm so grateful For this community, for the way you have formed me and shaped me and loved me, you are my family. We listen to understand and learn from each other. If you're looking for a good place to start, can I encourage you to check out irvingbible.org slash becoming. You'll find a teaching video there from Barry, but you'll also find some conversations from a diverse group of IBCers. Who, who just share about their perspectives, their experiences around race and ethnicity. It's such a great opportunity for us to listen deeply. Number three, 
examine our hearts and repent of sin. We've all been formed by our families and and the cultures we grew up in where we have either implicitly or explicitly believed messages about people who are different than us. We all make assumptions about people. We see the world through our own narrow lens. The, The way we grew up, the stories and stereotypes that we learned from our families and cultures all affect how we view other people. And this applies to all of us, regardless of our ethnicities. And so for me, the implicit message that I received growing up was that white people could not be trusted. That you could never really enter into deep, meaningful relationships with them. Because of discrimination and prejudice that I saw my parents and my family experience from white teachers and coworkers and neighbors. That's the message that I received. That's the message I believed. But I had to examine my heart. And as I did, I had to confess and repent of that sin because there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. So what are the messages that you received about whites, Latinos, Asians, blacks, immigrants, the rich, the poor? What do you do when you're looking for a new home and you realize that your potential neighbors are all ethnically different from you? Maybe all immigrants. How does that impact your decision about living in that neighborhood? What do you think when a Middle Eastern man boards your flight? What do you think when you see a black man walking through your neighborhood? I am not saying this to shame you because we all have this. But we must become aware of it and we must repent of sin. And maybe you think this isn't that big a deal. It's not that bad. Friends, I'm telling you that if we do not examine our hearts, we will only perpetuate the, the ethnic and social division and hostility that is in our world. And we must do better. We must examine our hearts. We must repent of sin. Number four, pursue racial justice. We want to be a people who are deeply connected to those who are different than us, but that alone isn't enough. We must also stand in solidarity with those who are oppressed and marginalized. We must stand up for people of color when they experience discrimination. We must recognize the uh, racial injustice that has occurred in our country's history. Beginning with the subjugation of Native Americans, slavery of African Americans, Jim Crow laws, Japanese internment camps, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and so much more discrimination that people of color have experienced throughout the years. Because those injustices are the very basis for anti-Asian violence, redlining, housing discrimination, violence against black Americans, and all kinds of discrimination that we are experiencing today. The church must be a voice for the victimized and neglected. God stands with the oppressed and the marginalized, and so must we. Pursue racial justice. And finally, number five, live empowered by the spirit. We can never do one through four if we do not do number five. To fulfill the mission of God, we must be empowered by the spirit, our lives deeply rooted in the rhythms of a disciple, so that God might work through us, transforming us, so that we can be agents of transformation for him. Alan Hirsch writes, if we're going to impact our world in the name of Jesus, it will be because people like you and me took action in the power of the spirit. Ever since the mission and ministry of Jesus, God has never stopped calling for a movement of little Jesuses to follow him into the world. 
and unleash the remarkable redemptive genius that lies in the very message we carry. We must be open to the work that God wants to do in us and we must embrace the whole gospel and become a radically inclusive community. The power of God was unleashed throughout the Roman Empire and then to the, to the rest of the world because a group of ordinary men decided to obey Jesus and preach the gospel to those who were ethnically different from them. The believers in Antioch lived in such a powerful and compelling way that the rest of the city took notice. Where there was division and discord, the gospel of Jesus Christ brought unity and love. If that happened in Antioch back then, why can't it happen in Irving today? What if we lived in such a powerful and compelling way that people around us said, look at how they love each other. What if we were known as the little Christ? What if we, the people of Irving Bible Church, displayed the the power of the gospel by, by becoming a radically inclusive community? God is calling us to become a multi-ethnic movement of missionary disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And the invitation to you is to come be part of this movement so that together we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus to all people living as the new family of God, empowered by the spirit and embodying the self-giving love of Jesus to the world. Oh, that we would be this kind of people. Before we come to the table this morning, I want to give you just a few moments to reflect upon your life and upon these five practices. Perhaps the Lord is inviting you to, to learn to be uncomfortable, to lay aside your comfort for others. Maybe the invitation for you is to practice deep listening by entering into someone else's world, allowing you to, yourself to be formed by their views. Maybe your next step is to examine your heart for those messages and Repent of sin. Perhaps the invitation for you is to pursue racial justice. By educating yourself about the injustices that have taken place in, the, in our country's history. But are still taking place today. To be a voice for the voiceless. And finally the invitation to all of us. Is to live empowered by the spirit. Our lives deeply rooted in the rhythms of a disciple. So that God might work in and through us. I'm going to give you a few moments just to pause just in the quietness of your heart right where you are and to reflect upon these five practices, what the Lord is inviting you into. And then I'll pray for us. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.